Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we commit our time to you. We thank you, Father God, that we have been able to come into your house this morning to praise you and to worship you, for you alone are worthy. Father God, may our time around your word be fruitful, productive. May it edify the saints. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit may be amongst us. Reveal the written word to us, to our souls, Father, we pray. May the light of Christ shine upon our hearts this day. May oil fill our lamps with heavenly oil. May we have light in the darkness to see where we are going. May we see Christ this morning. May we receive revelation of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I've been going through in my personal study and in the Oxford Fellowship also, I've been going through the whole Exodus account and I felt the Lord wished me to bring an aspect of that Exodus account again to us this morning. See, I see this Exodus account as the, literally the plan of salvation according to the Bible. It's how you get saved, it's how you stay saved, and it's how you finish the journey being saved. That's the Exodus account. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul draws upon the Exodus account and basically tells us this is our template, this is our model for our Christian life. We've designed various models in our days in which we live, but none of them are accurate. The only one that is accurate really is the biblical model, which is very vividly described to us in the book of Exodus. So the Exodus story is a model for our Christian faith and every stage of the journey is a different stage of our Christian walk. And I was reading, uh, I was uh, preaching a number of months ago on the manna and the quail being the food that we are supposed to eat and not to eat. Uh, We are commanded to eat the manna and we are not commanded to eat the quail. Unfortunately, people love to eat the quail today instead of the manna. But these things are written for our instruction and the Bible says they ate spiritual food and they drank spiritual drink and a few Weeks ago, I was speaking about the children of Israel, how they came to the Mount Sinai, and they went up the mountain talking about us receiving the law of God upon our hearts, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how powerful that was, that whole event was. And today, I want to look at something a little bit different, is how the children of Israel were led in the wilderness, how they were led. How were the children of Israel led in the wilderness? What did they have to guide them in their journey, in their sojourn? Pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Now, we often use the term when we speak about the children of Israel in the wilderness as their wanderings in the wilderness. And the word wanderings seems to give that implication that they were just wandering with randomly without any particular direction. But that's not the truth, is it? They were purposely led from start to finish. From, from, from the time they left Egypt all the way until the promised land. For 40 years, they were led purposely. They were not really wandering. I mean, in a sense, they did wander, but they were purposely being led every single day. God was directing them with them at every stage of the journey, even though sometimes it seemed like they were just doing not very much, just pottering around in the wilderness. But God had a very specific plan and a purpose for each one of them. And indeed, for us today, sometimes it feels like we're just pottering around in the wilderness, not really doing very much, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but certainly I've been in, there, in those situations where you just feel like you, God has forgotten about me. 
Where, where is the great ministry, Lord? Where is the great things that are going to happen, Lord? And I'm just sort of pottering around, wandering in the wilderness. Well, God is leading you. And even though it, sometimes it feels like you've been abandoned and, you know, there's not really any purpose and where is God in all this, God is still leading you. If you're following his cloud, his pillar of fire in the, in the nighttime and his pillar of cloud during the day. And if you, continue, if you have left Egypt properly, he will be faithful to lead you to the promised land eventually. Amen. In Numbers 14, verse 14, it says that they, the nations, have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye, whilst your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night. There wasn't two pillars. There was one pillar. They had fire in the middle of it, and a cloud surrounded it. There was one pillar. Just in the nighttime, the, the fire was more evident, and during the daytime, the cloud was more evident. But you had the fire, consuming fire, which stood for the presence of God himself, surrounded by the, the column of cloud. And it enabled the people in some way to look upon the form of God in some way. Not the complete form, but it represented by the consuming fire. And in Exodus 33, verses 8 to 11, it says, It came about... Whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise as we've been arising as we read the word of God this morning. And they would worship each at the entrance of his tent. And thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Praise God for Joshua. How we need men like Joshua today. Men who will ignore the comfortable tents in the middle of the camp where all the social activities are going on, but they'll stay at the tent of meeting to be close, as close as they possibly could, to the presence of the Almighty God. But isn't it amazing to think that the presence of God, God himself in a sense, could literally be seen by the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. I remember many years ago when I first got saved, I was telling my school friends I got saved, and I was trying to get them to get saved and pray this prayer. And I remember one guy saying to me, well, if God appeared to me in front of me by that car right there, I'd get saved. I'd become a Christian. I thought, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And what we have today are people running after signs here, there, and everywhere. And signs can be good, but in their place. And if you're running after signs, you've got it the wrong way around. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You see, these people of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They had, the, they had the vision, almost like the presence of God, consuming fire with them at all times, and yet still they rebelled every single day. You see, it's what's in your heart that counts. If you have rebellion in your heart, you can see great miracles, experience mighty acts. Even look upon the form of God himself in a way, and in the end it will do you no good in the long run. In Hebrews, the writer says, I was angry with this generation, the generation that came out of Exodus. And I said, they always go astray in their hearts. They did not know my ways. 
and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And there is many people in the church today who will not enter into his rest because they're running after signs and miracles and wonders and everything but the true presence of the Lord. And they're not listening to what the Lord would say to them. You see, if our hearts remain unchanged by his love and grace, it doesn't really matter what God is going to do for us or what signs he does for us because nothing will be good in the long run. That's why it's important to leave Egypt in the proper way. Today we have many miracle crusades and um, I've been in churches where people are encouraged to come forward and that can be good. People can come forward and make a decision for Christ. But when people make a decision for Christ, are they truly being born again? Are people leaving Egypt properly? When the people of Israel were in Egypt, they were there for a long time, weren't they, before God actually did anything? Why did God actually move on their behalf in the first place? Because they learned to groan. Have you ever got to the point in your life where you've learned to groan in your slavery to sin? Until you get to that point, you may experience some supernatural experience. You may experience something of the love of God. You may hear something of a call of God. But until you've learned to groan in your heart, you've not really got to the point where God is going to deliver you out of Egypt. You see, they learned to groan in Egypt, and when God heard their groanings, he was moved on their behalf, and he sent a deliverer. Many of us need to feel the weight of our sin, as Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress, before we'll be at the point where we're ready to get saved in the proper way. There's many people in the church today who have said a prayer, but they're not actually born again at all. Multitudes of people in churches today who are sitting in pews, assuming everything is good, everything is wonderful, they're on the way to the promised land and they haven't even left Egypt yet because they've believed a lie, that they've just prayed a prayer, they've not been moved in heart, but they've not yet left Egypt. And how did the children of Israel leave Egypt? What festival did they keep on that night, the great night? Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread. What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread all about? Removing the leaven. Have we repented of our sin? You see, a person cannot be born again unless they have got to the point where they groan in their slavery to sin and they desire to repent of that sin. That's why repentance comes first. But we're teaching people a salvation without repentance these days. Just come to Jesus, pray this prayer, and all will be well. No, it will not be well. And it will not be with the well for the people who teach such things. Are we, how did we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread when we came out of Egypt? Did we eat of that unleavened bread? Or is there still sin in the camp? It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's feasting on the Passover lamb. Not only do we repent of our sins, do we, did we actually feed on the Passover lamb when we left Egypt? Did we encounter Christ when we repented of our sins? There's some people who repent of their sins, but they don't yet get to that point where they truly find Christ and find the forgiveness in Christ. They feed upon the Passover lamb. Have you fed upon the Passover lamb? Some people who are just repenting of their sins, going to church week after week, whipping themselves, repenting of their sins every week, constant condemnation, but they've not yet learned to feed upon the Passover lamb. Have you left Egypt properly? Have you celebrated the feast in the proper way? It's so important to get people saved in the proper way. You're doing people no service whatsoever. We just keep on making people feel good about themselves and assuring themselves in their salvation when they've not actually left Egypt yet. 
And I've met many people like that, unfortunately. But an amazing fact is that God's presence never left the children of Israel during their whole 40 years in their time of rebellion against him. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer to Hebrews is drawing upon Deuteronomy 31. And the whole context is the cloud and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. How the Lord was with them every step of the journey. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes we can think, well, I've sinned. I've lost that sense of God's goodness, that sense of peace. The Lord's abandoned me. This is normal in a sense because when we do sin... Our faith rest is shattered in Christ. There is no rest for the wicked, the Lord says. When we sin, we should feel bad about it. But that that bad feeling should spur us on to repentance and getting right with the Lord. That's following the cloud of fire and the pillar of cloud in the wilderness. But what if we say, well, uh, don't bother about that. Just hide our sin, cover it up, because I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. What are we doing then? We're not following where the pillar of fire is taking us in the wilderness. Sin does shatter our faith rest in Christ, but he will not abandon us. And if we repent of our sins, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us and he will bring us in once more. He does not wish for any to perish. He realizes we are frail. He realizes we are vulnerable to sin. He is still there waiting to lead us into good paths and his paths of righteousness. But we need to repent. There's something we need to do. It's not this gospel that it's all about grace, 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 and we have to do nothing because it's all of God. It is all of God, but you have a part to play in it, taking hold of his grace. Equally, it's good to note that just by saying God will never leave us or forsake us does not imply we are guaranteed to make it to the promised land. Did all the children of Israel who left Egypt make it to the promised land? How many? Two. Thousands of people left Egypt, too, made it to the promised land. And yet God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. During the exodus from Egypt, the presence of the Lord never left them. Yet many of them never made it to the promised land. Their bodies fell in the wilderness, and that's like many people today. Maybe they leave Egypt well. Maybe they go through the Red Sea, they get baptized. But somewhere along the line in the wilderness, when the testing time comes... They stumble, and they fall, and they don't make it to the promised land. Maybe they stop following the pillar of cloud and the fire. Was God still with the children of Israel in the wilderness? Yes, he never left them nor forsook them. But God says, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. You know, for the very fact that God's presence was with them was, was a great blessing to be able to see the presence of God with them. But to some people, that was a portent of doom and terror. Remember Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron? What happened when they tried to offer authorized, unauthorized fire before the Lord? It said fire came from the presence of the Lord. That was from the cloud, from the presence of the Lord. The fire came from him and consumed them. The only things that were left were their garments, the only things that had been consecrated unto God. The rest of it was just burnt up. Korah happened the same thing. People talk today about the presence of the Lord in a very casual way, I have found. Maybe it's the sort of churches I've been around many times in the past, I don't know. But there's almost like this sense of, well, God's presence is here, amen. And you think, well, is it? 
and we mistake this charged atmosphere, whipped up sermons, hyped up sermons, emotionally driven sermons, or a charged atmosphere created by a band and all the lights are going and it's all happening. We say, well, the presence of the Lord is here, amen. And the Lord is absent, completely absent. And people know no better. They think that is the presence of the Lord. They're being deceived. The true divine presence of God is a glory. It is a holy glory to those who, who know it. The Israelites worshipped when they saw the cloud descend. But it is a terror also to those who profane and disregard it. And one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says the fire will test the quality of the work. And it will consume anything that is not of Christ or has not been done in him. That should sober us up. <laughs> Just because God will never leave us nor forsake us does not mean we will make it to the promised land. There is a continuing in the faith that is required which is of him, of course, is all of him. It's from him, through him, and to him. But we have a, a, a responsibility to walk with him. So walk ye in him. And as, he, as we do so, he will be there to lead us, to guide us, and to warn us as required. We have access to his divine guidance, but our responsibility to remain still, to listen, to hear his voice, and to follow wherever his voice takes us. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you don't, if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, if you're going in your own direction, are you really a son of God? I mean, maybe at times we follow the wrong thing and we repent, we get back on right with God. But in the end, we need to be led by the Spirit of God to be qualified as sons of the living God. Joshua was a man who saw the pillar of cloud and fire, but he had a different heart and attitude to most people of his compatriots. His heart was to be as close to God as possible. By his own decision, he would not depart from the tent of meeting. I'm sure it was quite uncomfortable sometimes. It was much better to be in the central crowd in the, where everything was going on. And it was happening, so to speak, in the center of the camp. But he was on the, on the edge of the camp because he desired God. Jesus said, seek and keep on seeking and you shall find. There's not enough seeking today. We just assume we've got it all. God wants us to seek and keep on seeking and then keep on seeking and then keep on seeking and then we shall find. And when we find the true thing, we will realize that this is true and we won't be taken away by the counterfeit. But the cloud covers God's people during the daytime, protecting them from the harsh desert sun. And it brought them light and warmth of the fire at night as the temperatures tended to plummet in the desert. And so it is with us today. If you've come out of Egypt, if you've been saved, guess where you are today? You're in the wilderness of this world. And the wilderness of this world is a testing place. I don't know about you, but I go to work on a Monday morning, and it's not a Christian environment. <laughs> Shock horror. And people profane, swear, blaspheme, and boast, and, and it can be quite unpleasant, and you have to get along with your partners and your, your colleagues at work, but... You know, you feel sort of a distance. It's, it's a harsh environment. We usually don't fit in too well, especially if you're truly wanting to serve the Lord. But God's presence will enable you to make, a, make it through, protected from its most extreme edges, and he will always make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way to us. Now, I want to read from Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 18. Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 18. 
Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle and the tent of the testimony. And in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterwards the sons of Israel would set out, then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. So literally, whenever the cloud moved, they would move. When the cloud settled, they would settle. It was the movements of the cloud that determined where they would go, how they would be led. In verse 18, it says, At the command of the Lord... The sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. The word command there is not actually in the original Hebrew. The word is mouth. And in English way of speaking, it sounds a bit funny when you read it. At the mouth of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the mouth of the Lord they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Think at the mouth? Doesn't that just mean command? Then in verse 20, if sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the mouth of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the mouth of the Lord, they set out. So the scripture is speaking about the movements of the cloud guiding his people in the wilderness. Wherever the cloud moved, they moved. Wherever it settled, they settled also. But then the the scripture starts to refer to these movements as the command or the mouth of the Lord, also repeated in verses 20 and verse 23. Was there any verbal command of God to stay or to move? No, it was just whenever the cloud lifted, they, lift, they, they moved out. Wherever the cloud settled, they settled. So what is the scripture saying? That the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel was the very mouth, command, word of God itself. That which proceeded from the mouth of the Father. Remember in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. Who was the word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father? Jesus Christ. As the manna speaks about Jesus Christ being the bread of life, so the cloud, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud in the wilderness, speaks of Christ as the word of the Lord, the living word. We understand that Jesus Christ, as the word of the Lord, was the pillar of cloud and was the pillar of fire in the wilderness, that which came forth from the mouth of Yahweh. When the pillar of cloud was leading the people of the children of Israel in the wilderness, they were following the word of the Lord. Christ himself, the word of God, was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that guided them during their sojourn in the wilderness. And we read in the scripture that the angel of the Lord indwelt in in that pillar of fire, didn't we? The angel of God, or Yahweh himself, according to Exodus 14 and 13. Jesus Christ himself, as the angel of the Lord, indwelt the pillar of fire. He was what made it a pillar of fire because he was that consuming fire. Now, why are these things written in these ways? So the Jews of their time could read them and make these connections. See, when they read John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, they were supposed to read things like, In the beginning was the Word. The Word. 
And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Scripture was talking about the mouth of the Lord. The Word of the, God, the Lord comes from the mouth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God who was the light on the first day, the first word spoken, the manna that fell in the wilderness, the rock that was struck, the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, the cloud that led his people during the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. So how does all this relate to us today? How God led the children of Israel during their sojourn in the wilderness is exactly how he's going to lead us today. God is not going to lead you through a medium through a spiritual guru who gives you words from the front. I remember one guy saying, uh, being advertised that he was going to come to the church and he was promising people personal words from the Lord. And I tell you, there was a big crowd who came. Because everybody wants a personal word from the Lord. And it's very compelling when someone says, I've got a word of the Lord for you, brother. God is speaking to me. I mean, God can give a word. But it, would always, it should always confirm what God has already spoken to you through his living word. And if you're not in his living word, but you're seeking after a word, well, you're going to get a word which takes you on a diversion in your life. How did God lead the children of Israel in the wilderness? With fire and with water. The cloud was effectively water droplets. Two seemingly opposing elements... Yet because God was in the midst, the water did not evaporate into steam by the consuming fire. And the fire was not quenched by the surrounding waters because God was in the midst. Speaking to us of the seeming contradictions in God's nature and God's character. Consider then the kindness and the severity of God. How can he be kind if he's severe? How can he be fire and water? When God is in the midst, everything is perfectly balanced together. How can God be mercy and justice? Surely he must be one or the other in our one-dimensional minds. No, because God is in the midst, it's fire and water. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. How can God be love and holiness at the same time? Because he is God. And he chooses when to give his love and he chooses when to show his holiness. The cloud which represented the word of God was characterized by fire and by water. Today we do not have a literal cloud. I do not have a cloud over this church today. But what do we have? The living word. The Lord leads us today primarily through his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When it says lamp there, it's not talking about a sort of metal lamp which we put batteries in, AA batteries in. It's talking about a lamp like the virgins had. And it had a flame of fire coming out because it had an oil in it. And the flame of fire showed light. What light do you have coming out of your lamp? If you have the oil of the Holy Spirit in your Bible reading or upon your Bible reading, you will have the light of Christ shining from your Bible reading. You will have the revelation of Christ but many people are walking in darkness instead. The word is not just dusty old writings on a page or typed information of history, historical events, reference book, intellectual arguments, moral reasonings, religious philosophy. It does include a lot of that, but it's not that in its, it's really, that is not exactly what it is. 
when anointed by the Holy Spirit, this book, which seems to be just typed information, becomes a living book, characterized by a holy fire that burns in your heart, or a holy water that washes your soul and purifies your inner being. It does something to you. Have you ever read the Word of God and it does something in your soul? It burns you within. It refreshes you on the inside. That's the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud guiding you in the wilderness. It does something to us when it is working as God intends it to do. In Jeremiah 23 verse 29, the prophet says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. It's powerful. It's alive. It burns if it is released. And in Ephesians 5 verse 26, the Apostle Paul talking about the church, so that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Have you been washed recently? Have you felt that inner cleansing of the word when the the word gets released and you feel this inner sense of cleanliness and purity and washing within? That's the washing of water with the word. That's the pillar of cloud. I'm focusing on the pillar of fire today. Another time I'll do the pillar of cloud. But the pillar of fire, when did the pillar of fire guide the children of Israel? During the nighttime. Why during the nighttime? Because it's during the spiritual nighttime when we are downcast, discouraged, depressed, that the fire of God's word becomes more evident and more real to us in our sojourn. The flame of a fire can provide light, it can give us warmth and comfort in the cold. It can also burn if you get too close. It may even melt and consume if allowed to burn unchecked. These are all characteristics of fire and could be all characteristics of God's word in your heart. But when our hearts are cold, in the grip of discouragement, perhaps we've just been beaten down by the circumstances of life, we're in spiritual nighttime. What do we read in the Word? Maybe we read Romans 5. This is when I went through a real time of darkness and testing and difficulty. I spoke about it a few weeks ago. I really felt bad about myself. I felt, you know, I'd really let God down. I'd let everyone else down and Then I read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And words on a page became a warmth in my heart. And I knew those words. I could quote them, but I didn't really know them because they had not become real to me. It was only when I went through the darkness, when I went through the nighttime, that the pillar of fire started guiding me in the light, in the, in the darkness. When we realize and fully grasp that God is for us and not against us, we are encouraged in our faith and our hearts are warmed and comforted in the journey. I've experienced that. Have you? When you're feeling down and you're feeling depressed, what do you do? Get another drink from the fridge? Get stoned? Or do you go to God's Word and find encouragement in your God? We are strengthened for the journey ahead as the flicker of flame in God's revealed word starts to penetrate into our spiritual coldness and we are warmed, comforted in Christ, encouraged in him for the journey ahead. This is the pillar of fire guiding us in the darkness of our journey, which we all must experience and travel through. Remember John Wesley. 
He was in the depths of despair. He thought that he was going to be a great missionary, had a great calling. And he was coming back from America as a failure. Didn't see God move at all. Felt that it was all worthless, lamenting, in despair and misery. But then he was meditating in God's Word. And what happened? He received divine revelation from the Word and how it applied personally to him. The Word became alive because the Holy Spirit anointed it. And what happened to his heart? Strangely warmed. True faith entered into his soul. Christ, the Word of God, the pillar of fire, was showing him the way in the wilderness, in the darkness. What would have happened if John Wesley didn't follow where the pillar of fire was taking him? Where would we as a country be today? No great ministry, no great revival in Britain. Obscurity, futility. How many people in the church sense the Lord speaking to them through his word? Their hearts start burning. They start having their hearts strangely warmed and then they go back to what they've always been doing and they forget and they get cold again. I would say many. In John 8.31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We don't tend to read verses like that in the Scripture, do we? What does abide mean? It means live in His Word. If the Word is leading you somewhere, follow where the Word is taking you. Invest time in the Word. Receive the revelation of Christ. Invest the time necessary to get the revelation of Christ for you. If you just give five minutes or a couple of minutes a day to reading the Word and just a quick flick through, I've done my chapter, you are never going to experience the fire and the water the spiritual fire and the spiritual water. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You'll only know the truth that sets you free if you abide in his word. And where that pillar of cloud or pillar of fire is taking you, go in that direction. The Word of God, when anointed by the Holy Spirit, is a pillar of fire that warms and comforts the hearts of His people. And next, the Word of God can bring light in the darkness. As the flame of God's Word begins to burn our pathway, our pathway becomes lit by divine light. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A burning lamp. It's not a torch. It's a burning lamp that emits warmth and light. And it shows us the way in the darkness. This world is enveloped in spiritual darkness. I don't know if you know that. But if you go out to work, if you're in the world at any time, you will so soon realize that this world is in spiritual darkness. Men's souls, their understanding are darkened by sin. They are unable to perceive God's light. And people just stumble from one crisis to another. If you just... You know, you listen to people with their conversation, you just hear about them talking about one crisis to the next. Why? Because they're stumbling in the darkness. And when you walk in the darkness, you tend to stumble because you don't see the pitfalls ahead. They're stumbling because they're not walking according to the light revealed in God's words. When God is kind enough to shine his light into our, into our darkness, it reveals what we're really like. And often it's not a very nice sight. But when he does that, that's his mercy, and he's expecting you to do something about it. 
When he puts you in a, in a situation when you get angry all the time, he's revealing something to you that you've got a problem with anger and you need to deal with it. You need to repent and get right with the Lord. If he shines his light onto you and you, know, you have lust and adulterous thoughts and all this sort of stuff in your heart, God's doing that for a reason, to expose the darkness and help you to repent of it and walk in his light. That's the pillar of cloud and fire guiding you in the nighttime. And he expects us to respond to it. Repent of your sin, walk in the light. This is following the pillar of fire in the wilderness. If we don't do that, will we make it to the promised land? If the children of Israel had said, well, you know, I quite like it at Mount Sinai. You know, I've got a little pitch where I can put my tent here and, you know, you guys go ahead there and, you know, and I can see the pillar of fire going off, you know, and going up and everyone's going after them. But, you know, I quite like it here. You know, I quite like it at Elim. It's a nice 12 springs and date palms and I think I'll pitch my tent here. Would they have ever made it to the promised land? If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. These are serious words. God expects us to abide in his word, live in his word, follow wherever his word is taking us. Thirdly, fire has the tendency to burn anything it comes close to. If you touch a metal rod that's been in the fire, you'll put it down in a hurry, won't you? Our flesh recoils when exposed to the fire. And when you're under the word and you're under the preaching of the conviction of the spirit through the word, your flesh will want to get you out of that place as fast as your legs can carry you. When you're under conviction of the Holy Spirit through the word, your flesh will do anything to get you out of that place. Say, you've got this to do, you've got that to do. Don't spend any more time praying. Get out of the word, you've got phone calls to make. You need to check out the internet, you need to see what's happening in the world. And Satan will do everything he can to get you out of that place where the light is shining on your darkness. Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. The fire and the hammer. What is that symbolic of? The fire and the hammer. Heavenly blacksmith. God is our heavenly blacksmith at work on his anvil, shaping us into whichever shape he sees fit for us to be. Have you had time on his heavenly anvil? Have you got the bruises of the hammer where he's hammered you out? Anything's not done yet. A bit more time on the anvil. What do we do when we're on the anvil? We say, I don't like it here on this anvil, God. That fire is too hot. That hammer bruises me. I don't like it, Lord. Get me out of this place. I don't like this Christianity. I'm not following that pillar of fire. Very easy to do, isn't it? Children of Israel grumbled and complained. Do we grumble and complain? If we're English people, we, we do. <laughs> a national sport, absolutely. It's our pastime. Grumble and complain about anything and everything. How about receiving the correction of the Lord and praising Him in, in the midst of our difficulties? When the storm comes, praising Him in the storm. That's when you get the victory. That's the act of faith in the storm. When God brings His hammer down upon you, are you going to complain about it? Or are you going to rejoice in the Lord anyway? The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
God wants to mold you into his image, into a good image, the image of Christ. I want to read some words I found from a sermon from Spurgeon. Really great words. So even if you are an unconverted man, if you have as yet no knowledge of the power of the gospel of God, yet if you come in contact with it, I guarantee that you will know it. Very likely you will show that you know it by getting very angry and growing very indignant. Men do not like to be singed and scorched by the gospel. When a fellow has burnt his hand, he does not feel pleased with the hot iron. And the gospel often operates upon men most beneficially, beneficially when it excites their wrath. How we need Spurgeon today. I have not much hope of a sinner who keeps on hearing the truth of God and saying, Yes, I like that kind of preaching. I quite enjoy our minister's sermons. I have a great deal more hope of a man when he says, I will never hear that fellow again. I cannot bear to listen to him and goes out in a rage. He will come back before long. The hook is in his jaw. He is feeling the sharpness of it and he will not be able to get away from it. The word of the Lord is as a fire and if a man touches fire it will burn him and he will be made to know that he has come into contact with it. Have you not, dear friends, felt it to be so? If you have always sat for years under a ministry and have remained not yet only unconverted but unmoved, if you have always felt perfectly pleased and satisfied with yourself and with what you have heard, I should think it cannot have been the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have been listening to. If it had been the true gospel of the grace of God, I am sure it would either make you angry with yourself, angry with your sin, or angry with the message you have just heard. For if you do not hate your sin, you will hate the gospel with all its lovingness. God's word is so stern a witness against everything that is evil, that is like a fire so that it pains, startles, and awakens. Men cannot go to sleep when their fingers are on fire. Neither can they when the true gospel is sounding aloud in their ears. Fantastic. I have sat for years in churches where there was no fire. And I could get out of that sermon and feel absolutely pleased with myself that I'm a wonderful Christian. I'm doing great things for God. But I was no, there was no fire. I was not being touched. Now during the night time, Things are generally dark and murky and confusing. This is exactly the time we need the shock of a flame to burn us, make us aware of God and his ways. This is why the seeker-friendly way of doing things in church is so futile and useless. Being nice to everybody all the time does not affect the work of God in a person's heart. We need the fire of God's holy word burning in our hearts. And we need to be around people who carry that fire. You need to choose your friends wisely. Who you follow. Do they have a fire in their ministry? Do they burn you? Can it be a bit uncomfortable sometimes being around them? Those are good people to be around. Have you ever sensed the word of God lighting your way or burning like a fire in your very soul? What do you sense God is saying to you at that time is key is key to the direction God wants you to take, and you need to listen to what he is saying to you at that very moment. I'll say that again. When you feel the fire of God's word 
burning in your heart. What God is speaking to you at that very moment is what you need to pay specific attention to because that is God's leading for you in the wilderness. That is the pillar of fire leading you at that moment in your particular situation. I remember a time many years ago, uh, over 20 years ago, I was an was a elder in a, very, in a church, a bit like a Hillsong-style church, and um, God started to move in my life. And I started to question various things I was hearing. But every time I'd go and listen to the preacher, he was, a very, he was a real leader. He was very charismatic. He was very good at preaching, and he used the word. It sounded so true. But then I'd go home, and I'd read the word, and it thought, this doesn't seem to be the same. It's, there's a disconnect. But then you'd go to church. You'd sit in the church. They would be jumping around, and you'd think, well, this sounds true as well. Where do I go? What direction do I choose? But what I decided was that I would just take whatever this guy was preaching, I'd write it down and I'd go into the Word for myself and find out what the Word of God said for me. And I took five months over it, took all the main teachings of the guy. And at the end of those five months, I'd written 20 pages and I knew that what we were doing was, was wrong and it was not the Word of the Lord. But, but it, was, it was a struggle. And you'd go to church during those five months and you'd listen to this preacher and it would sound so true. And he'd use the Scripture you think, well, that sounds right. But then I'd go home, and I'd be in the Word, and I'd really start to get in, invest in the Word, and the Word started to open itself up to me. And sometimes I felt like a burning all over me, a burning in my heart I had not experienced for many years. And when the burning starts in your heart, you need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you at that time. And praise God, I thank God that I listened at that time to where the fire was leading me. I went to that pastor and I took in my 20 pages of notes and as an elder should and, and um, we had an interesting conversation. <laughs> I was escorted off the premises and banned from the church and blacklisted and all the rest of it. But, um, and what followed was a period in the wilderness because when you experience the fire, often what happens is you get thrust into the wilderness. But it's in the wilderness where you start to learn how to follow the pillar of fire in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud by day. But what you sense God's word lighting your way or burning in your heart, pay particular attention to the direction he is pointing you to at that time. This is God's leading for you. And this will often have much more to do with certain ingrained habits you have, what type of people you hang around, what type of church you go to, what ministries you receive from, or how your personal devotional life is, more than what job you should get, who your life partner should be, all the things we usually pray about. God is far more interested in the spiritual. And if we will focus on the spiritual and get that sorted out, all the other things will then just automatically fit into place. Unfortunately today, many have not sensed the supernatural fire of God's word for many, many years. That was my experience for many years. If at all, why? Why? Because they have uncircumcised ears that cannot hear, or those preaching the word to them have no fire in their ministry, or possibly both, combination of both. Remember in Luke chapter 24, the uh, disciples were on the road to Emmaus. And I really relate to this story because it really, I've been there. They were discouraged, they were down, their leader had been taken from them. They, they thought he was going to save Israel. We thought he was the consolation of Israel. What's happened? He's gone, and it's three days since it's happened. And they were in spiritual darkness. They were going through the night. And then Jesus comes. 
and starts walking with them. The light of the world comes, but they, are, they cannot recognize him. And he opens up the scriptures to them. And they say to one another in verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? He wasn't just giving them a history lesson. He wasn't teaching them the latest doctrines from biblical doctrine book about this thick on your full of dust on the shelf. He was opening up the Scriptures, revealing the Scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was making the Word alive because He is the living Word. I tell you, it's great to have Jesus come and start shining His light into your heart. The problem is many preachers today do not open the Word to their hearers. They do not release the Word to their hearers because they've already decided what the Word says or what they want it to say. And they use then the word to frame or justify what they wanted to say rather than releasing the word as it is, exactly as it is. You know, I've been in many preachers' sermons, and some of them can be very eloquent. Sometimes I can feel almost I feel intimidated because they're so eloquent, and I tend to stutter over my words and miss things out and all sorts, and they've got this thick, rich voice, and they're so eloquent, and they're so informed, and they've got so many degrees, and they, they, got, they have all this knowledge, and you think, wow, this guy really knows something, but there's no substance. There's no fire. There's no unction. There's no anointing. It's all just information, and it profits you nothing. Only supernatural fire and water can profit you something. If holy fire is absent from someone's ministry, I would say avoid them or at least lessen your dependence upon them. There's too many people today sitting in dead churches under dead ministries receiving nothing, just getting colder and colder in their faith because they think, well, maybe I can be a light here. Well, maybe you can for a short time, but if it's obvious that your word, your ministry is not being received or, or anything you say is being ignored, it's time to get out and be around people who are on fire for God. That's following the pillar of fire in the wilderness. Conversely, if you find someone whose words stir your heart with a holy unction, who light a fire in your soul, who bring you to a point of deeper dependence upon God, listen to them. Listen to the word of Christ in them. Listen to the Holy Spirit speaking through them. Go in that direction. God is pointing you through them. I've known many people who didn't, and they stay in churches that are literally dead, just like a social club, not a church. And they miss the opportunity of being regularly exposed to the fire. How we need men of God on fire today. We need men of God who are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And such men don't just happen. A man like John the Baptist is not just born that way. They become that way after spending much time in the wilderness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Being separated from the things of this world, emptying themselves of the things of this world, and after turning their back upon the things of this world and the pleasures, being emptied of their self-life, then like Moses at the burning bush, they meet with the Holy One in the wilderness, and their life takes on a whole new phase and a whole new meaning. And that may take a long process, a long time. Often we want things to happen immediately. I remember I wanted the Lord to use me 20, 25, 30 years ago, and he never did. <laughs> I thought, Lord, when is it going to happen? When are you going to use me? He had to put me out and throw me into the wilderness and shut me off for a long period of time. 
And it's in the wilderness where you get trained. It's where in the wilderness where you start to learn about the holy fire, what is holy and what is profane. In Jeremiah 15, verses 16 to 19, the prophet says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. When did they become a joy and the delight of my heart? When I found them and when I ate them. For years, I never really found the word. I'd read the word. I'd be very, I'd be very educated in the word. I could spout many scriptures and had lots of knowledge. But I didn't really find the word. And I didn't eat the word. Have you fed upon the bread of life? Have you received the living word into your soul? This is what it's all about. Your words were found... And I ate them. That meant he searched for them. He sought for his words. It wasn't a five-minute job every Sunday or so just to read the word before I go to church so I'll be in a spiritual frame of mind. No, it was every day getting time disciplined in the word of the Lord, seeking God for myself. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me the joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Verse 17, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult because of your hand upon me. I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Have you got to that point yet? Where the indignation of the Lord comes into your very soul through what you read. It won't happen if you're in the circle of the merrymakers, partying your way to heaven. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you, and before me you will stand... And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become as my mouth. Same word. You will become as my mouth. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Jeremiah separated himself from this world, from the circle of merrymakers around him. He could have been partying it up. He had high position in the court. But he separated himself, and consequently he found the words of Yahweh, of God himself, to be his joy and the delight of his heart. But in the same way as being, filling his heart with joy and gladness, they also filled him with indignation. And this is often what you find when you truly get the revelation of God's word. It's not just all joy and peace, there's indignation there also. He got indignant at the state of Israel because when, you start, when the word starts shining in your heart, when you start realizing what the word actually says and what it speaks to the church and it speaks to Israel at that time, you suddenly get indignant about how people can live their lives in the way they are and how you used to live your life in the way you used to and were so casual about it. But it filled him with indignation at the state of Israel as God also fills his prophets today with his indignation at the general state of what is known as the church or the body of Christ today. I tell you, there is a time is coming when, God will, when Jesus will return. He will divide the sheep from the goats. He will divide the, wicked from, the wheat from the chaff. He's going to deal with his church and he's going to separate the wicked from the true. The time is coming. He's going to deal with judgment begins at the body of Christ and the household of God. God said to Jeremiah, extract the precious from the worthless. And if he did so, he would be as my mouth to them. Exactly the same word that was used in Numbers 
describing the movements of the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of fire in the wilderness. At the mouth of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the mouth of the Lord, they would camp. If Jeremiah would extract the precious from the worthless in his time, then he would be as a pillar of fire to them. Then he would be as God's mouth to them, as a pillar of cloud to his generation, as the literal pillar of cloud and fire was to the children of Israel during their days in the exodus from Egypt. Remember Barak, Ebed-Melech, the, the precious, were extracted from the worthless. Will you be a pillar of cloud and fire to your generation today? That is a high calling, I tell you. Lighting the path ahead for those around you. If you want that, you need to find your place alone in the wilderness first, where the self-life is, con- is crucified but you become filled with his word instead. Most of the church today is fast asleep. I know because I've been fast asleep, and I know what it is to be fast asleep. The problem is most of them think they're awake because I thought that I was awake. <laughs> it's a bit like my wife when she's, um, she nudges me and says, Stop snoring. I said, I'm not sleeping, I'm awake. And I'm convinced in my mind that I've never fallen asleep. And she says, you were snoring. And and in my mind, I'm thinking I wasn't. (laughs) But that's like the church today. That was like how I was. I thought I was awake, but I was absolutely asleep. The worst thing about being asleep is you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. And it is the times of waking up when I've suddenly realized that I was actually asleep. But I thought I knew so much. I thought I was being used of the Lord. I thought God had his hand upon me. God had promised me many great things. But I was fast asleep. And I tell you, the church today, especially in this country, to the main part is fast asleep. And a lot of what is known as the remnant church, brothers and sisters, is fast asleep as well. And the problem is because we know something more than others, often that deceives us even more. Maybe we get a hold of a truth that other people haven't got and we think we've got the, we, we know it all, but we're still asleep. It's a bit like, you know, I, I wake up at night, I turn over, and I go straight back to sleep again. And that's how so many of us in the church today, what we do, we sort of, we hear a sermon that wakes us up. We think, oh my goodness me, where am I going in life? What am I doing? And we go, oh gosh, and turn over and <laughs> we're back to it, serenading my wife. See that? Yeah. Hmm. Problem is, many people are so fast asleep they cannot be stirred. Yet some only sleep lightly. They could be woken with the right encouragement. It may only be the few, but they're the ones God is seeking for in these last days. Extract the precious from the worthless. If you will do this, you will be as my mouth. You will be a pillar of fire in the wilderness guiding his people. When the crowds went out to see John the Baptist in the wilderness, what were they going to see? Were they going to see a man? In a sense, they were going to see a man, but what were they really going to see? They were going to see God's pillar of fire in the wilderness at that time to their generation. A burning lamp that lit up their way in the darkness. He said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get yourself ready. 
bear fruits worthy of repentance. Well, that's a hard message. That's a works-based righteousness, isn't it? Isn't that a works-based gospel? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. How we have fallen from the true gospel. He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He gave a challenge to the people, didn't he? He challenged them, as Jesus challenged us in the Sermon on the Mount. Those inconvenient verses we usually ignore. When Jesus spoke of John the Baptist in John 5, verse 35, he says, He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He was God's pillar of fire in the wilderness to his generation. But we're not living in his generation today, are we? We're living in our generation. Are there any pillars of fire out there guiding the way in the wilderness today? Maybe God has his hand upon one of you here today, a number of you. God's going to raise you up to be a pillar of fire to your generation. But it's going to take a real pruning process in order to be ready for it. Not every day you get to sense the fire in someone's ministry. In George Whitfield's day, people traveled for miles and miles in great haste just to sit under the divine flame coming forth from his mouth. He was a pillar of fire in his generation. But we're not in his generation anymore. We're in our generation. See, if Jesus passed by us today and said, follow me, what would we say? Oh, my nets are too busy. I've got too much work to do, Lord. How about tomorrow? I'm only two-thirds of the way through my Netflix series. A few box sets to go. thing is, Jesus doesn't pass by every day, does he? He doesn't just keep on calling every day, every day. He does for a time. There is a lot of grace in our Lord. But eventually, he stops. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness, where they tested and tried me. And for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. Jesus doesn't pass by every day. Disciples on the road to Emmaus were in spiritual darkness, discouraged that their leader had been taken from them. All their hopes had gone with him. That's when the pillar of God's fire came along and started guiding them in the wilderness. He stood right next to them. They were unaware. And how did he do it? He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He opened their minds to receive the revelation of Christ. That is what we need, brothers and sisters, today. We do not need techniques to get us into heaven, techniques to improve our prayer life, techniques to build our church. We need the revelation of the Holy One of Israel. If you receive the revelation of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, your, your, your path is being lit. You are following the cloud of fire in the wilderness. The only light we have to shine is Christ, and the only fire we may possess is his glorious presence. But are we shining a pure light to our generation, or one that has been dimmed? Are we warming people's souls, or leaving them cold? Or even to some who may need it, are we burning them so as to provoke them out of their cold darkness? Jesus said, let your light shine before men. 
that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We have a calling upon our lives today, not only to follow the pillar of fire in the wilderness, but to be a pillar of fire, to be as my mouth to your generation, to our generation. God is calling us to this. It's a high calling. It's a calling that will cost you everything you have, but it's a glorious calling. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the richness in the word of Christ, in the word of God. Father God, open up our minds. Pierce our ears, Lord, that we may hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church. May we not be cold and lackadaisical and all too familiar with the things of the Lord. Whatever we have heard today, Father God, may we take it on board. May we receive your word into our very souls, Father God, that it affects us and changes us and changes the direction of our life if need be. Guide us, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. Help us to follow your pillar of fire in the wilderness. We bless you, Lord, and praise your glorious name forever. To you be the glory. To you be the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.